This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtCloud. ArtCloud's trusted by thousands of galleries, artists, and collectors worldwide. ArtCloud's all-in-one art management solution, an integrated art marketplace, is the fastest growing of its kind. You can use ArtCloud's marketplace to discover and buy exceptional pieces tailored for your taste, share your favorites with friends and fellow art enthusiasts, and even use the app to visualize artwork in your own space. If you're an artist or gallery, plug into ArtCloud's best-in-class art management platform, including easy-to-use client inventory management, sales assistance, and the opportunity to grow your business by placing your art on ArtCloud's booming marketplace. So, are you ready to explore ArtCloud? Registration's free, so sign up now on artcloud.com. That's spelled A-R-T-C-L-D.com. This week's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Art Tactics Art Forecaster. If you've never played, Art Forecaster is an online platform where you predict the prices selected artworks will sell for at auction. You compete against other forecasters, and the most accurate players can win incredible prizes. Beginning tonight is our Art Forecaster Grand Slam November competition, featuring artworks from the big November auctions, both the Impressionist and Modern, as well as the post-war and contemporary auctions at Christie's, Phillips, and Sotheby's. Artists include Leonardo da Vinci, Basquiat, Francis Bacon, Andy Warhol, Picasso, Peter Doig, and many others. Competing is free, and top prizes for the competition include a Cause BFF vinyl figure, and a signed copy of Michael Finlay's new book, Seen Slowly, Looking at Modern Art. So visit artforecaster.com today to sign up and compete. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Don Thompson, economist and professor of marketing and strategy at the Schulich School of Business at York University in Toronto. And Don is also the author of the brand new book, The Orange Balloon Dog, Bubbles, Turmoil, and Avarice in the Contemporary Art Market. The book's available now on Amazon.com. Don, thanks so much for speaking with us. Hi, Adam. First, in the title of your book, you reference Jeff Koons' Orange Balloon Dog. What's the significance of that artwork, and how does it exemplify some of the key points you're addressing on the contemporary art market in your latest book? Well, the Orange Balloon Dog, as I guess most of your listeners will know, is a sculpture by Jeff Koons. Sold at Christie's in New York in November of, of uh, his 2013 for $58 million. $58 million is still an auction record for any work by a living artist. Um, to put in perspective, the previous record for a living artist was Gerhard Richter at $37 million. So, so the Balloon Dog was 50% more than any work by a living artist had ever sold for. It's, the Balloon Dog is what a clown makes at a child's birthday party. This one by Coons is 10 feet tall, 3 meters. It's chromium-plated stainless steel. It's beautiful. And it's an addition of five in different colors. There's no backstory to it. Coons said it celebrates the experiences that evoke a child's enjoyment of the world. Um, well, fair enough. But Gorby gave it its backstory, the backstory that made it famous at auction. He said, he promoted the work, he said, to own this positions the buyer alongside the very top collectors in the world. It's an exclusive club that you can join. Now, the other four members of the club were Steve Cohen in New York, Dr. Shanu in, in Athens, uh, Eli Broad in Los Angeles, and Francois Pernod in, in Paris, the owner of Christie's. And the admission fee for this exclusive club was $58 million. 
the buyer didn't join the club. The buyer was Suzanne McGrabby, who's a New York art investor, who put it in a warehouse in New Jersey and announced he would resell it for $100 million in five years, which is next year. There's another kind of paradox to it. Uh, the, the seller was Peter Brandt, a famous uh, New York and Connecticut collector, who said that, who claimed afterwards, Christie's made no money on my consignment. He said they charged him no commission and returned to him the buyer's premium. So he received 112% of the hammer price. Uh, it's an example of a paradox that the more expensive the artwork, the less the auction house earns. So all illustrations of what is happening in the art world today. When we, yeah, it's, it's a really incredible story. And when we think of markets in general, we assume they're logical in terms of pricing, in terms of how supply and demand work. You argue that the contemporary art market is irrational or illogical in certain ways. How, how is it irrational? Well, you, you buy art for one of three reasons. You love the piece and want to live with it. Well, you want it as a positional work to signal your wealth and status. Well, you want it as an investment. First two, first two of these are personal. Art advisors will tell you that about half of all high-end contemporary art purchases are for investment or store value. They're not, in good, invest they're not good investments. If, if prices have to appreciate about 15% a year to cover your capital cost, your restoration, insurance, uh, and so on, Work has to double in value every seven or eight years to break even. It has to quadruple in value every 14 to 16 years. Is that likely? But the, problem, the rationality problem is not the one percenters who buy Jig Committee and Warhol. The problem is the prices people are paying for mid-level artists or for emerging artists. A couple of years ago, you had the phenomenon in a fall auction in New York that four works sold by artists for over a million dollars each. And these are artists who had never had a solo show with a mainstream gallery. So, those are the irrationalities. One of the interesting things you address in your new book as well is the idea of nudging. Can you explain this concept to us and how, do you, how does it apply to the contemporary art market? Well, one of the focuses of the book is on the human behavioral frailties and oddities and irrationalities that are found in the art market. But they're found in the world. Uh, this is the work for which Richard Taylor won the Nobel Prize in Economics a couple of weeks ago. Uh, nudges are a non-economic incentive to do something. When you go through a cafeteria line and the desserts are up front in the line, that's a nudge. That will sell them twice as many desserts as they would sell if the desserts were at the end when your tray was already full of food. Um, an auction is a choreographed nudge. The colors in the auction room are thought to be conducive to the type of art being sold. So uh, in the past, Sotheby's has used dark semi-gloss blue for contemporary, off-white for old masters. So they'll literally repaint the room overnight. The auctioneer's words are nudges, and this is this is taught in day one of auctioneer school. Think of the phrases you hear from the auctioneer. Are you out? No regrets? Don't let them have it. Not yours, sir. The intention in each case being to bring somebody back in who's, who's put their hand down. Um, other examples, but that's how they buy auctions. So is this something you feel 
potential buyers are not conscious of when can, when participating in auctions? I think when it's pointed out to you, all of the, the behavioral things that are mentioned in the book are people, I, I, you know, I mentioned the audiences and they smile and kind of chuckle self-consciously. You're aware of them, but you don't think of them at the time. Um, but don't let them have it. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, you were the high bidder at one time. It's yours. There's sort of an endowment effect. It's briefly mine, and this person's trying to take it away from me. It's worth more to me now than it was one bit ago because it was briefly mine, and it's worth more to me than it's mine. It's called the endowment effect. That's one of the other things in the book. Yeah, I think that's that's really fascinating. There's a lot, so the, it's there's a lot of emotion and a lot of a lot of things going on in the subconscious during this transactional period during the auction process. Um, another thing you reference actually in the title of your book is the word bubble. And in your book, you even warn of a potential bust of that bubble. How do you define being in a bubble, particularly when it relates to the contemporary art market? And why do you think the market's in one now? And um, what do you see to suggest it may pop soon? Well, price bubbles are found all over the place. We're familiar with them in the real estate market. We're familiar with them in individual stocks, in the art market, and in, and in particular in the work of individual artists for periods of art. Uh, expands quickly and, 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 and collapses. Uh, but the end of a bubble is that no luxury good can see its price increase at several times the rate of GNP or disposable income forever. When that happens, you get a price bubble and the bubble breaks. Think of what happened to the art market in 1990 or in 2008. Now, when will this happen? Um, my favorite answer, I get asked this when, I, when I'm giving, giving talks. <laughs> when will it happen? My favorite answer is May 25th next year at 2 p.m. Uh, <laughs> time. But, but, but consider, if collectors and investors lost confidence in the advice of dealers and auction specialists, and decided to sell. There was a flood of work out there that would hit the market. There's nowhere for it to go. There are several million artworks stored in tax-exempt Freeport warehouses in Geneva, Singapore, Luxembourg, and other places. Um, the question is only whether the bubble deflates slowly or bursts. Um, my guess is slowly because there's a lot of money out there, but who knows? And as art prices have increased and art markets around the world have developed, art's increasingly looked at as an investment vehicle and a store of value. What's your take on this notion in your book? Well, I've said in all three books. Um, there are two other books that preceded the one you mentioned. Art as a whole is not a good investment and, and probably never has been for very long periods. Some artworks obviously are good investments and do very well. But beware. Sotheby's and Christie's public relations departments are wonderful. They're, they're, one, they're two of the best in the world at telling the media about success stories, about works that increase six times in value in 10 years. They never tell you about the works that sell for half of what they did a decade ago. Um, I mean, think of oil wells. You read about the one well in 20 that makes that comes in and makes a lot of money. You never read about the 19 dry wells. Um, the market, as a, 
the major art insurance companies who have huge portfolios of art, which are insured, uh, which are sort of inflation protected, increasing, you know, it's like your house, the, the, the value, the insured value goes up each year. We'll tell you that a good portfolio, all of the good portfolios combined will go up about 3.5% a year. A little higher than inflation. And that's sort of a 10-year number. But nowhere near what you would need as a whole to make it a good investment. And with the major auctions upcoming here in November in New York, one artwork you're really fascinated by is Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi at Christie's, which they'll be auctioning off in their post-war and contemporary sale. What, make, what makes the sale of this artwork so fascinating to you and worth following for everyone? This is, this is a lifetime event. Um, this is the last painting by Leonardo da Vinci in private hands. He did less than 20 in his lifetime. It's an image of Christ with his right hand raised in blessing. Uh, Christie's call it, it's at Christie's in New York. It's, it's the 15th of November. Christie's call it a painting of the most iconic figure in the world by the most important artist of all time, which is pretty accurate. It has this wonderful history. It was painted in 1500. Let me point out this is being offered at a contemporary art auction, because that's where the auction is. That's where the action is. <laughs> I'm sure it's the only work of art painted in 1500 that's ever been called contemporary or offered at a contemporary auction. But that's where the action is. It was painted in 1500. It was painted, they think, for Louis XII of France. It was then owned by Charles I of England. It was lost for several hundred years. It was purchased, I read, in 1958 for 45 pounds. It had been overpainted. Nobody recognized it. It was thought to be a follower of a follower of Leonardo. It was repurchased in 2005 by three investors for $10,000. Who thought they knew what it was? Cleaned it, restored it, authenticated it. It's now estimated at Christie's at $100 million, which is itself interesting. Why? If Medigliani sells for $170 million and Basquiat for $110 million, and this is the last Leonardo in private hands in the world, why is it $100 million? And a couple of people have said, well, there's questions about his authenticity. If it's not authentic, it's not worth very much. If it is authentic, it's double or triple the estimate. Uh, probably to a museum or individual looking for a focal work for their collection. Uh, so, the other question is, the obvious buyers are, are Catter or, or the Abu Dhabi Louvre, which is just opened. But will they buy a portrait of Christ? Interesting. Um, but it will be worth watching. Um, it's it's hard to imagine that number. If there is an authenticity question, then there are a lot of experts who are going to be embarrassed. The National Gallery in London is going to be embarrassed because they showed it as an authentic Leonardo. Anyway, the other backstory is is a number of lawsuits running around about it. Its current owner is a Russian oligarch named Dmitry Rubalov. Uh, he bought it from a Swiss investor called Ibouvier. Uh, he bought it for $127 million. Bouvier had bought it weeks before from Sotheby's for $80 million. 
and flipped it. Biggest profit from an art flip. Um, you'll have a hero. Um, the investors who bought it for $10,000 are threatening to Sotheby's for undervaluing it. Revlovlev is suing Bouvier for overpricing it. The story is a long way to run. We'll know more about it um, on the 15th. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really fascinating to see how that work does at auction, given the entire backstory that you just referenced. Um, and we'll be watching it as well, I'm sure, as our listeners will. Don, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. It was great to hear your insights on the markets. Um, and our, for our listeners, they can get your new book, The Orange Balloon Dog, Bubbles, Turmoil, and Avarice in the Contemporary Art Market, uh, wherever books are sold, including Amazon. Don, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This week's episode of the podcast was brought to you by ArtCloud and the Sotheby's Institute of Art. ArtCloud's trusted by thousands of galleries, artists, and collectors worldwide. Its all-in-one art management solution, an integrated art marketplace, is the fastest growing of its kind. You can use ArtCloud's marketplace to discover and buy exceptional pieces tailored for your taste, share your favorites with friends and fellow art enthusiasts, and even use the app to visualize artwork in your own space. So if you're an artist or gallery, plug into ArtCloud's best-in-class art management platform, including easy-to-use client inventory management, sales assistance, and the opportunity to grow your business by listing your art on ArtCloud's booming marketplace. So are you ready to explore ArtCloud? Registration's free, so sign up now at artcloud.com. That's spelled A-R-T-C-L-D.com.